So today's reading is from Acts chapter 24, verses 1 to 27. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years, you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly bait my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that themselves have that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his deeds. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Thank you. Great. Some of you may have that reading uh, in front of you if you've got your Bible. But uh, let me tell you first about John Payton. Some of you might be familiar with him uh, or John Patton. He was a, a missionary, Scottish missionary in uh, the 19th century. 
and uh, he wanted to take the good news of Jesus to the New Hebridean Islands in the South Pacific. So with his wife Mary, he set sail on April the 16th, 1858, aged 33. Now you need to know that the previous missionaries who'd gone there had been killed and eaten by the natives. Uh, these were cannibal islands. So uh, they sailed and they reached their destination, which was the island of Tanna on November the 5th. And it was in March, just the following year, so just a few months uh, later, that both John's wife and his newborn son died of the fever. He, uh, he kept going, he served alone on the island for the next four years. And if you read his autobiography and the biographies about him, you'll see that he just faced danger daily. His life was in danger every single day. And that's how he lived, uh, seeking to translate the Bible, uh, to uh, reach out to the natives. And he was finally driven off the island in February 1862 by the people that he was trying to reach. But uh, he didn't give up. Uh, two years later, he went back in 1864. He returned uh, along with his second wife, Margaret, and they labored together for 41 years until Margaret died in 1905. And he was uh, 81 at the time. And it's an astonishing story. And you've got to say, well, what kept him going? You know, what sent him there in the first place to this place on the edge of the earth, uh, which was so dangerous? And what kept him going through all these hardships and trials? And there's lots of uh, answers to that question. But one of the big things that kept him going was his hope. A hope revealed in uh, his response to one of the leaders in his church in Glasgow when he initially told them of his desire and intention to go to the New Hebrides back in the 1850s. One of the church elders called Mr. Dixon says, said to him, what are you mad? Uh, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And this is how John responded. He said, Mr. Dixon, uh, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection, in the great day, my resurrection body will be as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. So there's, there's the key, his hope, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus followers is dominant. Uh, in his thinking and his living. And it was this hope that drove him to take the gospel to the New Hebrides. And it was that hope that, yes, brought him into trouble and hardship, uh, but it was that hope that also kept him going, serving faithfully and joyfully. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, uh, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, ever since his conversion in Acts 9, ever since he'd met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life was so dramatically turned around he's been testifying to the risen Jesus and that testimony has brought him trouble opposition from both Jews and Gentiles uh, it's brought him beatings floggings uh, mockery um, stoning and prison and the question is you know what kept him going and in Acts 24 and these final chapters we see the answer so here he is uh, Acts 24 he's in trouble again uh, he's in the court of the Roman governor Felix facing his Jewish accusers and their false accusations. And when he's given opportunity at his trial to respond, uh, his testimony centers on his hope, on his hope of glory. Uh, it comes there in verse 15. I'll just read it uh, for us. Verse 15, I have the same hope in God that these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked and verse 16, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. 
See, his hope is in the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Jesus' resurrection means that there'll be a general resurrection at the end of time. The righteous will be raised to eternal life in God's new creation. And the wicked, those who've rejected Christ and his salvation in this life, they will be raised also to eternal life, but eternal life away from God in hell. And one thing the resurrection of Jesus tells us is that there is this, this day coming, this day of judgment, and that Jesus is the judge. That's what Paul has already said in Acts 17. He said it to some Greek politicians in Athens. Um, in chapter 17, this is what he said. He said, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that there is going to be a judgment and that Jesus is the judge. And Paul believes this. Paul believes that a day of reckoning is coming and the righteous and the wicked will both stand before God on that last day. And because of that, verse 16, he strives always to keep a clear conscience before God. And man, that is, he, he's going to keep going. He's, he's going to keep testifying to the truth of Jesus. And he's going to keep living out that truth, no matter what it costs him in the here and now, because he really does believe in the life of the world to come. Uh, notice he makes the same point in verse 21. It's on account of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. And in these final chapters of Acts, Paul repeatedly draws attention to the resurrection as he testifies to Christ. It's there again in the next chapter. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I'll read it for you. Uh, it's chapter 25, verse 6. This is what he says. It's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial before you today. This is the promise that our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? It's the hope of the resurrection of the dead that brought him to this trouble. And it's uh, this, uh, sorry, it's chapter 26, if you're confused there, that was uh, chapter 26. So it's the resurrection of the dead that's brought him into trouble, to trial, and it's this hope that keeps him earnestly serving God day and night. It keeps him testifying to Jesus, even though he's in trouble, and it keeps him courageously speaking out before those who, humanly uh, speaking, have the power of life and death over him. Uh, it's very, very courageous. And that's what we see him doing before the Roman governor Felix and his Jewish wife Drusilla at the end of chapter 24. Now Felix and Drusilla are quite a story. We know something about them from other sources. Uh, Drusilla was Felix's third wife. She'd previously been married to uh, a petty king in one of the Syrian territories. And Felix was captivated by her, her beauty. So uh, when she was 16 he wooed her away from her husband and she became his wife uh, illegally. So this was unlawful. And it was a very wicked thing to do. And now here are these uh, very same Felix and Drusilla in a private interview with Paul, hearing him speak about faith in Christ Jesus, verse 24. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, he's speaking about faith in Christ Jesus. Does it mean that Paul said, well, that, you know, Felix and Drusilla, you really do need Jesus to bring you a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment to your lives? Um, that's what many uh, Christians might say. Uh, do today but it's not what Paul does. Um, what he said is actually unpacked in verse 25. This is what he means when he's talking about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, 
Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So Paul just gives it straight to Felix. Faith in Christ goes hand in hand with repentance. Trusting in Jesus means turning away from our sin. It means a changed life. It means righteousness. It means self-control. And faith in Jesus is vital because a day of judgment is coming. And that's what Paul tells Felix. He's going to be faithful to his testimony to Jesus, is Paul. He's not going to fudge it. Um, the resurrection of the dead means that he'll strive to do the right thing. Remember verse 16, that he's going to keep his conscience clear before God and man. And therefore, he gives him the whole truth. Well, Felix is very disturbed by what he hears, and he ends the interview. But he does have further chats with Paul. And sadly, it's not because he wants to hear more of faith in Christ Jesus, actually. It's because he wants some money. So we read in verse 26 that he's hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So that's why he keeps sending for him. So if Paul wants to be released from prison, all he has to do is he just grease Felix's palm with some cash and Felix will ensure that Roman justice is done. Does Paul take the bait? Well, no, he doesn't. And we know he doesn't take the bait because he, he stays in prison. Uh, verse 27, he, he stays in prison for another two years. This man, Felix, leaves him in prison because he wants to do the Jews a favour, we're told. Why does he want to do the Jews a favour? Well, again, from other sources, we know that he was getting bad reports back in Rome about the way he handled the Jews. He crushed a Jewish rebellion uh, with great brutality. And uh, anti-Roman feeling in uh, Israel was growing uh, amongst the Jews. And the last thing that he wanted was an uprising that would go in his report, in his file, that would then find its way onto Caesar's desk in Rome. And so uh, he does the Jews a favor. If he releases Paul, the Jews are going to be furious. So he keeps him in prison, uh, keeps an innocent man in prison for another two years. And he does it for his own job security and his own future prospects. So Felix is exposed. He's an idol worshiper. He worships his own security. Uh, I've recently been reading a, an autobiography by uh, Helmut Thielke, who was a German theologian in the last century. Uh, and he was on the staff of a German uh, theological department in one of the German universities when the Nazis came to power and they dismissed him from his theology lectureship. And he appealed to the Nazi officer in charge and asked for his job back. And this was the response he got. The official said, no, uh, I'm sorry, you can't have your job back as long as theology, theology faculties exist. And that won't be for much longer, I can tell you that. Uh, we're going to make sure that only sucking pigs and no wild boars are appointed to professorships. Only sucking pigs will be appointed to theology professorships. That is only those who will do what the Nazis want them to do because they know that their living depends on the Nazi government. Only those who will not step out of line because their own security matters more to them than uh, Jesus Christ and his truth. Now there's a sense of uh, in which Felix was uh, a sucking pig and It'd be very easy for us to throw stones at him, wouldn't it? But before we do throw stones, uh, we have been there too. Uh, it's very easy, I think, to find ourselves worshipping our own security. Aren't there times when, you know, our own security in the here and now is more important to us than being faithful to Jesus? So, for instance, we keep quiet when we have an opportunity to speak out for Jesus or to nail our colours to the mast. Uh, we keep quiet about our allegiance to Jesus or we go along with the crowd in ungodly behavior because we're afraid of losing face or losing a relationship or losing our job. We refuse to admit a, a mistake because it might make us look bad in the eyes of people we're trying to impress. It's all because security matters more to us 
than Christ. Or we can hold on to the money that God has given us and we're not as generous and joyful and sacrificial in giving to God's work as we could be because security in the here and now matters more important to us than Jesus does. And that's certainly true of me. And I need to ask Jesus to tear that idol from my heart. Paul is very different. He's very different to Felix. Uh, his primary concern is not for his own safety. He's not a, a sucking pig. He's not concerned even about his own acquittal. He's on a mission. He's to testify to Christ. He testifies what he does in every single arena and every opportunity that God opens up for him. Paul is a wild boar. And it's his resurrection hope that gives him his persistent focus and drive in every situation and whenever he speaks. And we need, I need, uh, we all need, I think, to bring the resurrection back into our thinking, much more into our thinking, proclaiming and uh, living the resurrection. Yes, it will bring us into trouble. But believing the resurrection will keep us faithful in that trouble and will keep us persevering through it. Because res resurrection means that Jesus really is Lord and God. He really is the judge and he will return and he will take his risen people to be with him in that new world where communion with him is absolutely perfect and suffering is no more. And it's that truth, the truth of the resurrection that will save us from being sucking pigs who waste our life on our own security and will make us wild boars who take risks and make our life count for the Lord Jesus. And so in the words of the Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, strengthen our hearts in every good deed and word. Amen. <laughs>